episode 108 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. They're burning down the house. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. Welcome, everybody. This is Chris Hahn. You are listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. And I don't need to tell you where you downloaded it. It's not like I'm on my radio stations where I got to tell you the station you're on. You know where you got this podcast. Keep getting it from there and subscribe to it and tell your friends to subscribe to it. The Aggressive Progressive with Chris Hahn. I got a great show for you today. Michael Rappaport, the great actor who is sometimes controversial, will be joining me. Uh, Michael talks about uh, his career. He talks about how he's gotten involved with politics. He talks a little bit about the Howard Stern show because I couldn't ask a guy who's a regular on the Howard Stern show to come on my radio show and not talk about Howard Stern. It just, you know, has to be done. And it was done. So listen to the interview coming up in a few minutes right here on this podcast that you're listening to. And you probably know this because it was in the notes of what was in this show. So, um, yeah, I think the Republicans are intent on burning down the House. Burning down the House. And I'm not just talking about the House of Representatives. They're clearly going to do that. They're going to burn down this entire country if they can get a chance. Florida and Texas have passed incredibly restrictive voting rules. Look. I say this week in and week out, and I will say it again. Please hear me. Republicans cannot compete on the field of ideas, so they are intent on shrinking the electorate to a point where it's only their people who vote. And if you look at what's going on around the country, Republicans in their current form will not accept any results in elections that do not agree with their point of view, meaning that they won the election. Look at what's going on in Arizona. Look at what's going on elsewhere. Look at what's going on in the House GOP caucus. As we've talked about, they're going to get rid of Liz Cheney this week. Maybe you're listening to this later in the week. They've already gotten rid of her. They're going to get rid of Liz Cheney this week for the crime of not accepting that Donald Trump is still president of the United States. I heard Elise Stefanik last week, who is going to be the new number three House Republican conference chair. I heard her on the TV referring to Donald Trump as the president. Now, you only have one president at a time. And this person's name is Joe Biden. Joe Biden is the president. Donald Trump is a former president, unfortunately. We like to call him the former guy here on the Chris Hahn aggressive progressive podcast almost forgot what I was doing I was doing my radio show my podcast they all seem the same to me the only difference between my radio show and my podcast is when it comes out and where I do it (laughs) so I do the podcast at home I do the radio show in a studio with a bunch of people around me here I do it alone in my office in my house and I don't think you could tell the difference of the quality in fact the interview that you're going to hear in a little while was done in my radio studio uh, this is being done by me. I'm the engineer, the, the host, uh, the editor, everything. <laughs> so I hope you like it. The editing's a lot better on my radio show. I will definitely tell you that. Um, they are going to burn down this country. That's their plan. The American people are not going to submit to minority rule based on a fact that 
based on a, you know, a set of voter rules that just don't allow people to vote. And that's what they're trying to do in the still. Texas is a state that has changing demographics. The Republicans held on to everything in the state of Texas in the last election, but it was closer than they would have liked, right? It's been trending purple. And I think they saw what happened in Georgia and they're like, you know what? We can't wait for them to kick us out. We're going to make it harder for that to happen. We're going to put more voter ID requirements in place. We are going to make it harder to vote by absentee. We're going to make it harder to vote by Dropbox. We're going to make it harder to vote early. They can't compete. They don't have good ideas. And, you know, in Texas, Texas, the whole state shut down because there were two inches of snow. I would think that the electorate in Texas is kind of pissed off about that. And they might be interested in making some changes. And now, granted, they can't make changes to their statewide officials until 2022. But I think that they're going to make some changes in Texas by then. I mean, lies, America, lies are lies. We need to remember this. Lies are lies, no matter who's telling you those lies or how often they repeat it. They are always going to be lies. So the entire Republican conference in the House of Representatives and all of their pundits in right-wing media and some of those that go on regular mainstream media, they can say, they can refer to the former guy as the president all they want. He is not the president. That is a lie. When Elise Stefanik goes back home to upstate New York to talk about what's going on in Washington, everyone in that part of this state, and I know I've got a lot of listeners in upstate New York. I mean, it's one of my, I wouldn't say it's my biggest region. My biggest region would be New York City, and then I have California, and actually Texas, believe it or not, are my three biggest areas. But upstate New York does pretty well, right? California, San Francisco, I'm doing okay there. Uh, Texas in like the Houston and Austin areas. I'm doing big numbers in those parts, but I also do really well in Albany, New York. And I do well in other parts of upstate New York where at least Stefanik's district touches. Please hold her accountable. Ask her what she means when she refers to the former guy as the president of the United States. And it's not just her. That has been their new thing, that they are referring to the former guy as the president. We only have a president. And the 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 president right now is Joe Pite. We could call Barack Obama the former president or a president. I would even hand, handle that. He's a president. He was a president of the United States and was is the operative term, right? The former guy was a president of the United States. Jimmy Carter was a president. George W. Bush was a president. Joe Biden is the president. No one else is the president. So when Elise Stefanik or anybody else calls somebody else the president, you know that that person's a liar. And that is a lie, and they can't be trusted with anything. If you're going to make that kind of lie, if that's the kind of lie you're going to put out there, if the bar is so low that you can't step over the fact that you are acknowledging who is president of the United States at any given moment in time, I I don't know what else to say about that party. They are a fraud. They're kicking out Liz Cheney because she acknowledges that Joe Joe Biden was duly elected the president of the United States. That's it. 
That's the only place where they part ways. She had a 91% voting record with Donald Trump. She has a more conservative record than Elise Stefanik by about 25%, according to the CPAC, I guess, uh, scorecard. Now, of course, you know what I think of CPAC, right? You've heard this before. I said it on TV. Got me in some trouble. They're grifters. It's a big grift. I, you know, but they do rank based on their conservatism. And Liz Cheney's a lot higher than Elise Stefanik on that list. The only place, there's one place where Elise Stefanik toes the line and Liz Cheney does not. And that is on the big lie and the big liar. Elise Stefanik believes that the Republican Party should bend the knee to the former guy and she is willing to do it and she has been. Liz Cheney wants the former guy out of her life. That's it. Some people say, why are you calling her a hero? I'm not calling Liz Cheney a hero, but it does take political courage to do what she's doing right now. There's a lot of risks going on in Liz Cheney world right now. And no, I don't like her politics. Doesn't make me like her politics anymore, but I do respect her a lot more for taking that stand. I do. And if you don't, you know, you know, look, you can't let your politics blind your perception. There will always be people who disagree with you politically. I've been in politics my whole life since I was a teenager. And there were always people that I disagreed with, but there were always people that I disagreed with that I respected and that I wanted to work with to try to come to a consensus or to at least a compromise on any given position. You can't compromise with people who have their own reality. The the House Republicans right now, led by a, a, a feckless hack, Kevin McCarthy, have no no compass on what, what is real and what is not real. So we're at a situation right now in the United States of America where we really only have one party that's dealing with reality and there are a couple of people on the right that still call themselves Republicans for why, I don't know, frankly. I don't understand how Adam Kinzingberg Berger and, and Liz Cheney and Mitt, Mitch, Mitt Romney call themselves Republicans anymore. That party is lost. It is lost. They are gone. Does not exist as they once knew it. And I think we need two parties in this country. I don't think you can only have one point of view. But the two parties need to be based in reality. We need to be able to agree what a fact is. We need to be able to agree who won an election. They hired some company, Cyber Ninjas in Arizona, to try to say that they're you know, that there was some cheating in the election and they're looking for bamboo in the paper stock, which would suggest to them that these ballots came from China. It's madness. But that is what passes for mainstream Republicanism right now. This is not some fringe thing going on. What's going on in Arizona is not some fringe thing. It has the full faith and credit of the Republican Party of Arizona. And the former guy has been encouraging people to watch it very closely that it's going to change everything. Does that mean Elise Stefanik and Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise, a.k.a. David Duke without the baggage, all believe that too? Is that what the leadership 
of the House and the United States Senate GOP believe? Are these the people who are going to be asking Americans to put them in power as a check to Joe Biden in 2022? How could that possibly be? How could we ever let them in power again? If they're not going to acknowledge reality this time, what are they going to do in 2024 when there's a presidential election and it doesn't go the way they want? And let's say they are in in power in the House of Representatives. What's going to happen then? Is that the end of the republic? Is that the end of the republic? Will they refuse to accept the electoral college votes on January 6, 2025, if the Republicans take the House of Representatives back? Will they refuse to take them? Will we have a situation where we don't know who the president-elect is at the end of January 6th or the morning of January 7th, as it was this year? Will it then go to the courts? I I hope not, because that would be a bad thing, a bad thing for America. So there's a fever in that party. It has got them all sick. They they don't care either. It's all about power. I, I find it hard to believe that Harvard-educated Elise Stefanik doesn't know the difference between the Electoral College and Congress's role in the Electoral College. I find it hard to believe that she doesn't know that. I find it hard to believe that she really believes that Donald Trump is the president of the United States. But the fact that she's willing to say that to get a little bit more power, by the way, power that she's not going to hold for long because her seat is going to be sliced up into 15 different districts in redistricting this year. At least I hope so. New York State's losing a seat. And I don't think kowtowing to the former guy is going to make you a lot of friends in the New York State legislature. Albany isn't really filled with a lot of Trump lovers. The Trump lovers don't have a lot of power in the New York State Senate and Assembly who will be deciding what the congressional lines are, Elise. Good luck. Good luck with that. All right, I think I've ranted long enough here. I know you want to hear uh, the interview with Michael Rappaport, so I'm going to take a breather. I'm going to play this interview with Michael Rappaport, and then I'll be back in a little bit to wrap up the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to it. Please tell a friend. And listen to this. I'll be right back. I'm very excited to welcome Michael Rappaport. I have been a fan of Michael Rappaport since the 1990s. Uh, I, I actually think, Michael, the first movie that I recognized you in was a movie called The Mighty Aphrodite, which I truly loved and loved you in it. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I appreciate uh, you having me on. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Uh, I know how busy you are. You, I mean, just looking at your IMD page, uh, IMDb page, you are working every minute of the day, it appears. And I, I want to talk to you about, you know, growing up in Brooklyn. I'm from Long Island. My family's from a, the same part of Brooklyn you're from. Uh, but uh, you grew up in Brooklyn and you became an actor. Can you just kind of walk me through that evolution? Um. Yeah, I could I could walk you through the, the 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 big the big beats of it. I actually grew up in in Manhattan, uh, but went to school in in Brooklyn. Um, uh, but you know, I, I you know, growing up in in New York City, um, you know, in the in the seventies and the eighties. You know, I'm fifty one, so the seventies and the eighties were like very formative years, obviously. Right. For me, was different. You know, I really, I, you know, I loved movies. I wasn't into. Uh, I never thought about being an actor, but like I would, I would fall in love with movie characters and want to be the actual characters. Right. 
um, like uh, Rocky. I wanted to be Rocky. I never like, I never like um, translated to, oh, I want to do what Sylvester Stallone's doing, or I want to do what John Travolta's doing, or I want to do what, uh, you know, Robert De Niro was doing, or even later, like, you know, I want to do what John Cusack's Right. It, it, it's like, I, I love the characters. Um, but, you know, my whole life was sports and, and, and basketball. Like, I, I, I wanted to be a professional basketball player. And when I was about 16, 17, and I knew that I wasn't going to be a professional basketball player, I knew I wasn't going to get a college scholarship to North Carolina or Houston. Right, like, right. I, I was, you know, I, wasn't, I didn't even come close. You know, I just started thinking of backup plans. And, um, you know, I... I, I, I you know, thought about being a stand-up comedian because I loved Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Uh, like, like I said, like I wanted to be Eddie Murphy. Like I never, I never actually thought about being a stand-up comedian or, or a comedic actor. I wanted to actually be Eddie Murphy. <laughs> um, but obviously, when I was a little older, it, it started to make sense to me. And, you know, and, and that's how I started. You know, I started doing stand-up comedy when I was nineteen. Um, which, when I think about it now, how how uh, crazy! I, uh, I actually did stand-up comedy when I was. I did. I, I was a stand-up comic in my teens and early twenties as well. I didn't I didn't go out to California. I know you went out to California uh, to pursue mm-hmm. it. I did it here in New York. Uh, it was great. It was fun. I, I had a blast doing it. But I would still go. To, I was still going to college at the time, so I didn't didn't go down the road as far as you did. But you so you go out to California. You're working as a stand-up. Uh, you're doing your thing, and and then you start getting cast. I started getting cast. Yeah, I wasn't that good of a stand. I wasn't that good at the stand-up, but I had a lot of personality on stage and I wasn't nervous on stage and you could see sort of who I was and that would get me cast as, as an act like that would get me called into auditions as an actor. And when I started acting, like the first time that I ever like read a scene for uh, an audition, like it was literally like a beautiful mind, not to say that I'm like, you know, a high end <laughs> genius actor, but like it made sense to me more than stand up comedy did. And it made sense to me more than acting did. And it just was something that like I was able to do very easily. Like, like the idea of it, the, um, the beats of it, the timing of it, the emotion of it, like I was able to do it very easily. And it was just something that I discovered sort of late. But fell in love with, uh, you know, that, that, uh, but I, I loved it uh, once I started doing it. And, um, you know, then I, you know, was able to quickly get, you know, cast in a few different things. And one thing led to the next thing, and the next thing led to the next thing, and, you know, so forth and so on. And, and uh, you know, 31 years later, I'm still, you know, connecting dots and leading things to the next thing. But, uh, you know, I love acting. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that, um, you know, I, I, I always enjoy doing. I always... I still to this day get a like a like a like a heightened sort of um, euphoric, if, if that makes sense. Yep. Uh, feeling doing it, like I I, I I enjoy, I love doing it, and I, I still get off on it very much. I know that feeling. You know, I I sometimes will be on TV in front of millions of people doing like TV news at like eight o'clock at night. And then I'll go do improv uh, at a show with like 100 people watching it. And I'd much rather be in front of the 100 people doing improv than doing uh-huh. 4 million people on Fox News. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's very I know the rush, man. I love it. So let me ask you, you played a lot of th- different parts. What part that you've played in your career gave you the hardest time, challenged you the most? Well, that's a good question. Uh, 
I mean, there, there's all always something in in, in every part. I would probably. That's a good question. It's hard to say, you know, which one. I mean, I would think that, you know, I think like, you know, this movie I did called Higher Learning was very challenging mm. time for me. Um, just the, the aesthetics of the character, not the emotion. I related to the emotion of the character um, very easily. You know, the isolation and the vulnerability of the character, but the aesthetics of the character and the way he spoke and <clears throat> sort of the, the mentality of the character was a challenge. Um, I mean, but that's a good question. There's always some sort of challenge. It, it's hard to pick out one, but that's probably the one that I would think like the most, the most challenging. That's good. That's which one had the most fun, gave you the most, did you enjoy the most? I mean, that one was, they're all fun. You know, Mighty Aphrodite was fun. The, yep. They're all fun. You know, the, the show that, you know, I just finished the fourth, the fourth season of uh, eight typical, which is a coming soon. I, I don't have the date yet, but I could just say it's coming soon on, on Netflix. That's fun. Great. Um, you know, I mean, the, 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 I've m- most of, listen, I'm an actor, man. It, it, it's hard to complain, you know, right. it's a fun job and right. people are, you know, fun. And, 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 you know, like I could say that, you know, aside from like having to wake up early or something like this, um, you know, I don't think I've ever had a day where I didn't look forward to going to work. You know, so um, that's a a blessing. Yeah, I hear that, man. I hear that. I mean, we don't have to dig ditches. And that's, uh, you know, my dad drove a truck. (laughs) So it was right. It's a lot different from what from what we do and and what they do. So you've had this great career. You're doing all these things. You the three on three basketball league that you're involved with. Uh, you know, you're all, you're, you're all over the place. You've gotten political over the last, I would say two years. What kind of drew, drew you into that? I mean, this is more of a political talk show. I mean, what, what kind of drew you into that? Trump, Trump period. It, it, you know, I, I, it's been, you know, four years and, and, you know, the reason why I know it's been four years and some change because it's been Trump. It was Trump. You know, I never, ever spoke about politics. I never cared about politics. I never watched the news yep. for any period of time. I never read, you know, the newspaper. I never listened to political podcasts. I never, um, you know, it would be almost like someone who didn't follow sports. Right. And didn't know, you know, they knew that the players, you know, and they, they you know, I voted, um, you know, they knew the, the sort of the, the, the broad strokes of it, but it would be literally like someone who knows nothing and doesn't follow sports. But you know LeBron James, right. Kobe Bryant, you know who Tom Brady is, you know everybody loves, you know, Kobe Bryant, you know everybody, you know. Right. Uh, you know and and then this guy follow. comes along and he basically threatens <laughs> the world and you're like, hey, I got kids. When I running, when it wasn't even when, it, when, 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 when he was running – and I'll be honest, when he was running and the the John McCain, and I, yeah. I, I couldn't tell you five things about John McCain. But you knew he was a good guy. So we're talking about you getting involved with politics. You see this crazy guy, the former president, coming at us as an existential threat. You start making these incredibly funny viral videos, uh, just calling him out. And did you get a lot of blowback from fans? They're like, hey, come on. I mean, because you're involved with sports and other things. Um, were you getting a lot of blowback? I got a lot of response. Um, I wouldn't say, you know, I, I, there was a lot of blowback. It was definitely more support. Um, and I tell you, you know, the the amount of, 
I'll be. This is. This sounds crazy, but I never knew there was such racist, anti-Semitic mm. people in the world. Because growing up in New York City, the way I grew up in New York City, I never. I, I obviously I knew that existed, but <clears throat> the things. And I'm not. I'm not saying like I'm like. Oh, I was. I, I wasn't exposed to these things, but the 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 buttons that the videos and that my takes on politics pushed. And the responses were so bugged out in the DM. Yeah. Private. And sometimes publicly, like, I was like, yo, I didn't know people still say these words. Like, I was, like, tripping that people would say these words. Um, so it was, it was, but it was definitely more support. And, you know, and to this day, you know, there's not a day that goes by, like, at least one, two people a day, you know, in the streets. Will, will, will thank me and talk to me about, like, the videos. We'll literally be like, I appreciate what you were doing during the election. Well, you're reaching a different audience than I am, right? I, you know, the liberals follow me anyway, right? Or I, I obviously I have a lot of conservatives that follow me because I do a lot of Fox News, but liberals follow me. They listen to this radio show. They check out the podcast. They're not necessarily liberals following you. You're going to get independents and you're going to get people who are not interested in politics and you're going to get yeah. some con- conservatives. Yeah. So I think it's important. Yeah. I think it's important for people yeah. like you to speak out. I, I think it's important too, and like I said, it, it happened very innocently, and it was just a matter of like, who is this guy? Like, who does he think he is? Like, yo, you're—I don't care. Like, you know, like you're not a—you're uh, not Rodney Dangerfield. Like, you're not Andrew Dice Clay. Like, because some people say, "Well, you talk crap." Well, so I'm like, I know, I'm an actor, right. comedian, podcaster. Like, <laughs> I'm not. If I was the president, even I would know that you should, you know, handle yourself in a better way. And it was just the name calling. Yep. And at the beginning, it was simply the the name calling and the nicknames. That's yeah, as simple as it was. But I'll tell you something. I'm, I'm glad that I've learned a lot, and I'm glad that I, you know, my point of view came at such a late age, and it came from a very innocent place, and I'm able to format my opinions in a very open way. You know, I think it's dope that you go on Fox News. I watch it all. Yeah, I watch Fox. I watch CNN. I watch MSNBC. I listen to Ben Shapiro. Uh, I listen to Bill Maher. Um, you know, I, I'm all over the place with, with what information and who I think is giving information correctly, incorrectly. And, you know, and, I, and I'm able to sort of judge it in a more, it just sort of comes at me in a more innocent way. Right. Because, you know, one of the things about politics, I'll go, you know, when, when, I'll, when I'll comment on Democrats, when I comment on Biden. And when I say comment, like, it's usually not like, oh, this policy, I'm like, yo, this sounds like, you know, I'm not going to curse, but this sounds like, you know, BS, and this yep. sounds like effing this, and, you know, I just go off of my instinct. And people say, well, what side are you on? What side? And I'm like, side? Like, this isn't right. third grade kickball. <laughs> right. like, we're not in a gang. I didn't get jumped into a gang, like the Democratic gang, and I can't right. get jumped out. I'm on the, I'm on the side of America. That's what you say to them. Uh, yeah, so 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 it's just been a definitely it's been a very interesting exploration, a very 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 uh, uh, interesting exploration, and I feel like you know I was just saying this to my wife because we, and she's sort of the same way. She she's not as as uh, you know uh, uneducated about it as I am. She's she's definitely more informed. But you know now that I do have discussions about politics with people, and because I am. I, I would say so informed, I realize how uninformed the majority yeah. of people are and how stuck in their ways and how emotional and how um, peer pressure 
uh, opinions can make people these days. And, and I don't think it's good. And I think that I, I, I'll tell you just my, you know, a uh, quick prediction. Trump is coming back. He's running for president. Um, you know, uh, uh, I, I, I'll bet money on it. Plus, he was on Candace Owen the other day. Yep. And he said, I have an announcement. I can't, I'm not going to announce it uh, now, but I will tell you that uh, it's going to make you very happy. Like, <laughs> he's coming back. I mean, and, and barring any health stuff or any crazy legal stuff that happens, but, you know, I hope to God you're uh, wrong, but I think you're right. <laughs> he's coming. Yeah, he's coming. I mean, you know, he, I mean, the other, per- the only person is the other person they're going to come with is Rick uh, 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 DeSantos, and and uh, he's coming. And yep. Trump is coming, and and people need to get ready. Now. Well, Trump's going to have to find another state to live in because you can't be, um, you can't have the president and the vice president from the same state. It's in the Constitution. Uh, that's why Dick Cheney had to move back to Wyoming from Texas when he was George W. Bush's VP. All right, I look. Are, I only these are. These are small things to him. I know. He, so we could go. He, 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 you don't think he already knows that? He, he, this guy is is the greatest American criminal that is better than Al Capone. The biggest grifter in the history of this country, without a doubt. Not even there's. There's not even someone who you could you you could put in second place. No, no, no. And he's got 74 million people believing what he says. And and, and you know and how 74 million people could see that this guy, you know, killed 500,000 Americans, many of whom they probably knew. Uh, and, and, and they still vote for him. All right. I only have like two minutes left with you. I have to ask you about your appearances on Howard Stern. Cause anybody who listens to my show knows I'm a huge Stern fan <laughs> and I enjoy you on love Stern. It. Love, love you on Stern. Love the drama when you come on. But let me ask you, I mean, are you and Gary friends or not? We're not friends, but up until the last, um, the last appearance, he, He's been hanging on to 35 years of being pounded, humiliated, <laughs> mocked, and and a lot of uh, what came out at me uh, on the last time I was on, um, you know, what was that? He 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 still hasn't accepted the fact that he's Baba Bowie. <laughs> he's a gorilla. He's a dumb ape. He's an infected ape. And and until he comes to terms with that. Mike, um, Michael, you know, life will always be difficult and confusing. But did you hear him on Howard this week or last week talking about his mother and how how, you know, insane that must have been for him growing up? I mean, it explains a lot that he could take the abuse, but only so much. You you tend to dig it out a little bit harder than most. Uh, But, you know, I have a whole new respect for him after hearing the stories about his mom. I'm encouraging you to go listen to that. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I'll definitely, I'll, I'll, I listen, I heard some of that. I didn't hear all the episodes the last two weeks because I was working. But I mean, and, you know, I know he's talked about some of that stuff before. But yeah. Until he comes to the, comes to, you know, understand that he's nothing but a dumb, filthy, <laughs> hairy animal. <laughs> well, we got to, we got to leave it there because I'm running out of time with you. But Michael Rappaport, it has been a pleasure. We'll have you back on real soon. Keep doing what you're doing, my man. All right, I hope you liked uh, that interview with Michael Rappaport. <laughs> Crazy guy, love his stuff. I love him on the Stern Show. It's 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 just always an argument. It's fun. I don't know how much of it's real, how much of it's fake. I don't know. It seems real, but it could not be. I don't know. Who knows? It's entertaining. Whatever it is, it's entertaining. So check him out. Uh, I think you'll enjoy him. Uh, if you haven't seen his movies, he's, he's great in those movies. So I just want to wrap up my vaccination experience. It's been about a week and a half since I've gotten my vaccine. I guess in a couple days I will be 
fully vaccinated in, in the eyes of the state of New York. I'll get my vaccine passport. And I'm not worried about anybody tracking me with my vaccine passport. I mean, it's not like they can't track me in thousands of other ways between my car, my phone, whatever. But I will get my vaccine passport because, quite frankly, I'm proud that I got vaccinated. And I'm trying to encourage other people to get vaccinated. Um, I didn't get sick. Not really. I had uh, for about an hour the day after I had chills. So I put a blanket on uh, and I ate something and then I felt better. And that was it. Maybe I was a little tired. I don't know if I was tired because of the vaccine or the fact that I had to get up really early and I was up really late the night before. I don't know. I was a little tired the next day. Not Nothing to worry about. I still ran. <laughs> I still ran. And then uh, the day after that, I went out and I ran seven miles and I was fine. And here I am, uh, ready to take on the world. We've got to encourage our friends and neighbors who are not getting vaccinated to get vaccinated. And it can't just be calling them stupid for it. Um, We've got to lay out the facts, right? The fact of the matter is, is that there's a high risk, particularly for people over the age of 40, of having some serious side effects or death associated with COVID. There are far fewer risks in getting the vaccination. In fact, no one has died from getting the vaccine. Some people have gotten worse reactions than others. That is true, but nobody's died from it. And I believe that the CDC and the president and others need to start making this something people want. There needs to be a reward. And that means, you know, ending some mask mandates, particularly indoor mask mandates that people are now starting to complain about. Look, if we're vaccinated, if everybody, if everybody's vaccinated, and then we probably don't need a mask inside. But everybody's got to get vaccinated. We're getting to a point now, it looks like Pfizer uh, will be approved for those 12 and older this week. I fully plan on having my 14-year-old vaccinated. And trust me, there is nothing I love more in this world than my 14-year-old. So she's going to get vaccinated. I love my kids. I'm not, you know, my 28-year-old's already vaccinated. You know, it's it's... We need to convince our friends and neighbors and we can't just call them stupid. And I don't know how many times I could say it. It didn't hurt me. I, I made a joke. You know, there's a father that I see um, on the soccer field who's conservative. And he asked me, you know, how would you feel afterwards? I said, well, you know, other than the urge to do Microsoft Excel, I had no other side effects. And of course, that's a stupid dad joke about... Uh, you know, how there's uh, the conservatives are saying, well, this is uh, this is QAnon and it's Bill Gates trying to control the universe. And, you know, why? Like he doesn't like we don't already have windows. Does he need more than one hundred and sixty billion dollars? I know he's getting divorced and maybe it'll be 80 billion dollars, but isn't 80 billion dollars still enough? I mean, isn't it enough for everybody that he knows, quite frankly? I uh, I. I I don't get the theory, the conspiracy theories. I don't get how people trust people who have no real scientific background over people who do. I think people need to talk to their doctors and talk to friends and neighbors who got it. And I think that if we have friends and neighbors who are resistant, and by the way, it's not just conservatives. There are some Democrats, um, a smaller group of them, but there are some who are still vaccine resistant. And that number goes up when you talk about who's going to get their kids 
vaccinated. We got to get to between 70 and like 90% vaccinated before we're going to get herd immunity in this country. And with these variants, you know, constantly springing up, if you have a hotspot like in India, variants are going to be created. The, the, the time it takes for a virus to evolve is a lot quicker than anything else, right? It's a single or a couple cells. We need to get this behind us. And the way we're going to get it behind us is by vaccinating as, you know, as many people as we can. And that means us. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're progressive. Unless you're hate listening to me. And I'll take you hate listening to me just the same. The advertisers don't care if you're listening because you hate me or you love me. Um, but you probably love me or at least respect my politics. You probably already got vaccinated. And I'm sure you know people who didn't. We need to talk some sense into them. And we need to do it in a way that isn't condescending. And I know that I've been condescending to some extent at some times. And I am trying a different tact with people right now. My parents refused to get vaccinated. And they got COVID. And they are, you know, four weeks later just now kind of coming out of it. And they're still tired. And they're older. They're in their late 60s. So it's um, it's something that needs to be addressed. We need to make sure that our friends and family and neighbors who are thinking otherwise change their mind. We got we to gotta run the numbers by them. Here's your risk with it. Here's your risk without it. There are virtually no risks to getting vaccinated. And there needs to be some rewards. We've got to say when we get to X percentage vaccinated in this country, we're going to lift all mandates, mask mandates, capacity mandates, whatever. Now, look, I was talking to a friend today and I said, I might wear a mask in the winter anyway. I didn't get sick this winter and it wasn't like I wasn't around people. I didn't get any sickness at all. That's good. That's a good thing. It makes us more productive. And I don't like getting sick. I don't get sick very often, but when I do, I'm horrible. So do what you can. Talk to your friends. Talk to your neighbors. Get them vaccinated. Get them in the program. Help them understand that this is not just good for them, but it's good for you. It's good for America. It's good for everyone. It's the patriotic thing to do. It's the unselfish thing to do. We need to do it. I want to be done with this. I know you do too. All right. I want to remind you now, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there. And I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.